This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. for Holy Communion, and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Why are you alone and no one with you? These words of the priest of the Lord to David comes on the heels of last week and the last chapter in this book that we've been reading in 1 Samuel, where David learned that once again he was a wanted man by King Saul that Jonathan, his friend, had warned him, and they parted ways. If you think about it, there was no way David had here that he possibly could turn himself into the authorities and maybe place his life in the hands of justice with the courts. No, he was by edict and order of King Saul to be killed on sight. There would be no trial. He had no recourse but to run. As the anointed of God to take the throne once Saul passed away, David had an obligation and obedience to God to seek refuge and safety until the proper time. Often in tense circumstances, human nature tends to kick in to make us fight back, to take matters into our own hands. Waiting on God for his timing is usually last on our list especially when we're facing circumstances that David faced. It's usually last on our list because waiting on God is usually slow, at times painful, and tedious. This morning, let us continue to glean lessons from God's grace in this section of 1 Samuel and how we should live under his care in the midst of trying circumstances. The first nine verses of this chapter show us that David first sought help from the servant of God, the priest of the Lord. He sought help by going to the house of the Lord first. If you think about it, for David at this point in his life, his options were limited. He could not go back to his father, Jesse, and tend the flocks again because Saul knew where he lived. He could not seek direct help from his close friend Jonathan, as most likely Jonathan was being watched closely. He had nowhere else to go. He sought the Lord's house. When we hit trouble spots in life, the call upon us as the children of God is to seek solace in the Lord's house amidst his servants, his ministers. A joke I've heard from a fellow minister is that the senior pastor is often the last one to know when dire situations and circumstances occur in the lives of the members of his parish. What can this mean? It means sometimes we do not default to the Lord's house, to the Lord's ministers, to his shepherds called to care for his people. Instead, we default to other outlets in the suffering we endure. Sometimes until all these remedies are exhausted. Yet instead of doing what some do, we read in our passage today that David went 
to the Lord's house, the tabernacle, to the priest. This priest, Ahimelech, as we read, approaches David as David was coming towards him, trembling, fearful, asking him why he was alone. David, as we know from previous chapters, had been placed in charge of 1,000 warriors of the Lord. Usually when David traveled, he was with this amount of men. He was with his warriors. This was indeed an odd occurrence for David to come alone. Yet when approached by the priest he was seeking help from, David decided not to tell the truth. He decided to use deception with the minister of God. We have to remember David was not a perfect man. He was a sinner like all of us. Too often, unfortunately, children's books and stories about David in his early years paint him as perfect, as unblemished. This is unfortunate for it portrays a sort of falsehood to young children that you too can be good if you try hard enough, if you act like one of these heroes from the Bible, such as David. If anything, we need to see them as flawed, like us. And teach them to our children that they too were sinners and that they too needed redemption from God. The Bible records this for us to know that even the chosen, even the anointed of God in the Bible were all desperate for his salvation. They needed his help eventually to come for all of us and for them through Jesus Christ. Yet Jesus came even to atone for the sins of David, for those that came before him even for what he did here in our passage. We all sin too, just as David. A constant reminder of our need for humility to cling to Christ in everything, saving us from sin. He restores us and redeems even the worst of situations to his glory through the prophetic call that he gives all believers to call others to repent, to hear the words of brothers and sisters calling us to repent to repent, to forgive, to be reconciled. Perhaps David turned to sin here in this instance to save his own skin or to save the priest from culpability when he would be approached later as to why he helped this fugitive. Yet such a plea for help should have been honest, to let the priest of God decide for himself what he would do. David poured out, after all, and previous chapters, poured out his heart to to the prophet Samuel about what Saul was doing to him. And Samuel provided him shelter. David did not hold back the truth with Samuel. David could have done the same here. Yet he chose the path of deception. And still God, through all of this, still provided for his needs. Throughout all of this, there is also this side note that we read briefly of Doag the Edomite, servant of Saul, that was present, that was a witness. And as we'll see in a couple chapters, this brought dire consequences. As we read, the priest gave David bread, holy bread, bread that was reserved only for the priests. Yet this priest cared for the physical needs of David. Later in Holy Scripture, in the Gospels, our Lord himself, Jesus Christ, upholds this action of the priest because, after all, it was an act of mercy. 
We can never let external rules force us to withhold mercy and help from others that are in need. As we read in the gospel last week, the Pharisees had no qualms about helping their close family members or their own livestock if they were hurt or in trouble on a Sabbath. But they had a different approach to a stranger or to someone else's livestock. They would not lift a finger. Yet the point is that mercy, acts of mercy, are always permissible through the eyes of God. To close our section, David reveals how quickly he had to run from King Saul and that he did not even have time to bring his weapons of war. The priest then states that all that is present there is the sword of Goliath. The priest offers it to David and David takes it. God, through his priest, provided David with sustenance and with a means to defend himself. From here, we read that David continues his flight from Saul. Verses 10 through 15 closes our chapter with David fleeing, surprisingly, to the chief enemy for Israel and David at the time, the Philistines. Things, if you think about it, were so low for David that he felt he had nowhere else to turn, even within his own country. This action quickly turned into a dead end as we read this morning with King Achish of Gath advised of the following from his followers in verse 11. They told Achish, is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. These words from the enemies of the land of Israel are very, very telling. They reveal perhaps why King Saul wanted David dead with the fact that the Philistines, their chief enemies, saw David now as the king of the land. For David fleeing to an enemy for refuge, he knew he indeed was surrounded by enemies on all sides. He had nowhere else to turn. This surrounding by enemies is a theme that we find woven throughout the Psalms. For instance, in Psalm 17, verse 9, From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. What do we do when we feel surrounded by our enemies? The Psalms provide answers in many places. When we feel hemmed in by our enemies in the physical realm, all we have left is to turn to Almighty God for his help. Psalm 32, verse 7, gives us an example of this. You are my hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. And Psalm 142, verse 7, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me. For you will deal bountifully with me. Sometimes, as what happened with David here, we make the mistake of thinking that when we're surrounded by enemies, that perhaps one of our enemies is lesser than another enemy, and that we can trust that enemy just enough to get out of the jam we find ourselves in. In making this mistake, David is thrust once again into the wonderful, gracious truth in God that he alone surrounds us with his shouts of deliverance over our enemies. Yes, as David found throughout his life, this takes God's time. And we have to submit in patience to his timing 
for his deliverance to take place. Again, God surrounding us is everlasting. In making this mistake, David finds that it is God's steadfast love that surrounds us, that trust in him. See, the point here, the point even for our own day, is that we cannot trust even an enemy, whether we see them as the lesser evil or not. We often hear the saying in our politics that we need to just vote for the lesser of two evils and then are expected to trust the lesser of the two evils we vote for, pretending that everything is well. What we forget through the fog of all of this is that in reality, admitting that we are voting for the lesser of two evils means we're choosing to we're choosing between two that are actually acting and functioning at some level as an enemy of God. The lesson for David and all of us is that we can only trust in God alone, God completely to deliver us, to save us eternally, which is all that really matters. See, the world will try to tell us that what they sell is all that really matters trying to get us to worship other gods over Jesus Christ. In the end, it is all a lie meant to place all our hopes, all our faith, all our trust in the lesser of two evils, enemies of God at some level over Jesus Christ, our real and eternal Lord, King, and Savior. The answer is always to trust in God alone over man, whether it's Saul or Achish the lesser of the two evils. God, in his steadfast love, pulls us through as he pulled David through to his glory. The last verse I quoted in Psalm 142 speaks of the point that even when we feel as if we're surrounded by our enemies, we need to trust God that he is the one that surrounds us through his love, through his shouts of deliverance, with his very people, the righteous. As the prophet Elijah later found out when he was hunted by the wicked King Ahab, thinking there was no one left of the righteous in the land, God stopped him, telling him that he had kept 7,000 as a remnant that had not bowed the knee to Baal. The enemy of our soul uses the points when surrounded by enemies to try to get us to believe a lie that states that we are it in terms of the true servant of God. This is a most disheartening lie to believe. God repeatedly through his word preserves a remnant of the righteous to lift one another up, to surround one another in the love of God. The end of this section finds David pretending to be insane so that he can get out of this potential snag of being dispatched by the Philistines that saw him actually as more dangerous than Saul. God again delivered David. And he fled again, as we will see next week in chapter 22. God preserves us, even when things look bleak, even when it seems our enemies surround us. When we encounter these rough times, as David did, we are to look to the Lord for help. There's a very important reason Jesus and St. Paul later commanded us to love our enemies and to pray for them. Men like Paul knew firsthand the disaster of his own life in sin and was extremely humbled and overjoyed that Jesus stopped him on the Damascus road to save him. 
Even when we are in dire times with people around us that act more like enemies, we must turn to Christ in prayer, praying for their deliverance, for their repentance, to turn to God and to be changed of heart to bear the fruit of the Spirit with us. While praying and waiting, we seek God as we seek him now in our worship, knowing he indeed surrounds us in his love and his shouts of deliverance. Seek fellow believers for prayer, for support, for encouragement and love. They often help us through the darkest valleys to see that God will carry us through to his glory. Our God is the God of miracles, changing even the hardest of hearts, such as a Paul, to serve Jesus. Our call is to wait, wait in prayer, wait while we trust he will provide the way through his love that truly surrounds us, moving us to this level of faith as we read this morning in verse 7 of our psalm, when we face trials and tribulations. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Amen.